0: I just really, really enjoyed the idea of a thing did not exist, and now it exists because <laughs> I chose to make it exist because it popped out of my head. Even if it's a non-tangible thing, even if it's just like, like I said, a game mechanic or something like that, the fact that some people, people are being entertained by this thing that was a concept in my head a week ago, two years ago, whatever, and now they're interacting with the mechanics of it or they're playing with it or talking about it. it's just it's really huge for me.
1: Welcome to Replay, the show that invites you to join us at the Game Table. I'm your host, Clara Mount. On Replay, we're building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think differently about who we are and what we do. Replay is a Victor Media Group original. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Today on replay, we have something really exciting. It's our first time having not one, but two guests. And they are here to represent the nonprofit LARPing in Color, or LINK for short. So today, we have Lawrence Moore, he, him, founder and CEO of LARPing in Color, who's also a freelance artist and runs the game Pantheon. And tag teaming with him, we have Dr. Rachel Cofield, they them Director of Programs and Operations at LARPing in Color. They're a queer geographer based out of Atlanta, researching how people make a place for themselves. And they also own and operate the Garden of Destiny's LARP. So some pretty exciting people that I'm really happy to get to know today. We're gonna definitely learn more about the nonprofit LARPing in Color in a little bit, but first I just wanna get to know our guests a little better. So uh, without further ado, welcome to Replay. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Thank you for having us. We've grown a lot in the last year since you and I uh, both I uh, got to speak uh, not not too long ago. Yeah. Um, but like it's it's really exciting to be back and get to talk about like all the changes that we've made and the direction that we're going now and uh at the time I didn't even have Rachel to work with. Yeah. <laughs> and now. Yeah, Rachel's new. Yeah, yeah no. so I'm super excited about like the direction we're going and we're excited to be here and get to talk to you about it
1: yeah thank you so much for coming on uh so my first segment is mostly just kind of getting to know us and our love of gaming a little bit more so i've got some questions i'm going to ask you and rachel i'm going to start with you to kick off this conversation what is the number one reason that people should care about games
2: so i feel like we take things in our lives for granted so much right that We don't realize how important they are until almost sometimes like when we have a lack of them and i think for me i wasn't really thinking as much about the importance of games or even gaming communities before things like covid where you know gathering together to do things like a larp event became more difficult um Mm -hmm. that they really served as a point of interaction that people needed in their lives, right? Like it gave them a hobby, an outlet for like emotions, but also just like to see people and interact in ways that they don't normally get in their daily lives. So I think gaming has a lot of potential because it allows you to explore other points of identity. In a game, you may be Link going (laughs) to save the world, but in your daily life, you know, it doesn't always feel quite the same, even if you do things that are important. So I think it can be really empowering for people to have different experiences and feel that their own power matters. Because not only are we often isolated because we can't literally merge with another human, but like, (laughs) which, you know, some people might not want that. I'm into that, I'm all here for the mind (laughs) meld. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, we don't often get the opportunity to really become another person or to share with other people the experiences you might have in a game Um, Mm -hmm. like to play with your own identity even right like it gives it can provide a space for that so yeah i think like games have the ability to take people to different worlds and create empathy for different scenarios and help you to even understand yourself better
1: I love that. That is beautiful, Thanks. Lawrence. <laughs> La- Lawrence, what do you think about that?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that I bring Rachel with me these days. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, yeah, I agree so much. Uh, so wholeheartedly with what they just said, I can't add on to that. That um, so, like, what is a game, especially these days? Mm-hmm. Like, oh like, yeah, what like really? So like the the idea of a game is really like, that there is a person or some kind of entity or existence or something, uh, an end goal, and then a mechanic in how you reach your end goal. And that's Mm -hmm. all a game really is when you really boil it down is there's a thing that I want to do, and I am here. Where I want to get to is over here, and there is this, more than likely this pre-structured mechanic that I have to engage with to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really just how people operate. They want to know that I can get to this place, but I have to get through this mechanic in order to do that. It emulates life in a much more simple manner and mm-hmm. in, in so many different ways. Like we want to know that if I get hired at this job, that I can eventually become the, the president of the company. If I engage with this corporate mechanic of like <laughs> schmoozing with the right people, or um, Mm -hmm. just doing my job well enough or whatever the case may be. And then when we get to that end goal, we look back and reflect on, hey, yeah, I did that correctly. That was like, we reflect back positively on that. And so when you condense that down to just like, how can I do this in five minutes or an hour or a weekend? That's honestly kind of what we just did is we understood something and then we engaged with the mechanic. We figured out the mechanic and then we got our end goal. And I think that's what's so important about about gaming is that through experiences like that, uh, that mechanic is such a core part of it mm-hmm. that uh, it, it allows us to experience different ways to explore reaching that end goal and different ways we can reach that end goal. I know that's really kind of like <laughs> blown out look or maybe a really condensed down look at gaming, but that's that's my take on it.
1: I mean, that makes sense. I'm, I'm like trying to remember, there's a scholar that I read along time ago now that said something about like games are just like you basically set a goal and then you are trying to reach that goal using constraints that make it harder for you mm-hmm. basically it's like i uh, it's like you're willfully accepting a challenge and mm-hmm. like anytime you do that you're already playing a game and like i i for the life of me can't remember who said that that's not my idea but i'll have to look it up later and send it to you but <laughs> please do. no i think that's a, that's that's a really really good point just kind of shows why games are applicable to like everything, right? Like I, I got through school in a lot of ways by treating it like a game because I was like, oh, mm. if I hit these achievements or if I hit, you know, even just like I need this certain book for this research paper, I'm going to turn that into a quest. I need to find what I need mm. like <laughs> that's too real.
2: <laughs> uh, that whole element of problem solving is certainly very relevant. And I think that's where things like, you know, immersive experiences, LARP, they give people to to a limited degree, but sometimes to a more heightened degree, like constraints, but also the ability to use your own creativity in solving those problems. Mm, Yeah,
1: I love that. So many skills that you can pull out of gaming. Uh, So I I don't care who answers this first, but how did y'all get into gaming? What started it all? That's a huge question. I know. What started (laughs) it all?
0: I guess for me, uh, if we're just talking about like gaming in general, like we could go back to just like playing with like Nerf guns in the in the, in the backyard. Yeah. Um. But uh, so my first like video game console was the NES. Just uh, like most kids, I was a, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was a big Mario kid growing up. But I didn't really engage with like video games a whole lot until uh, my younger brother was born because I was always about the experience of sharing it with someone else. And then <laughs> uh, yeah. it's kind of funny, as my brother and I grew up, he became much more the gamer. And I ended up just being like, I like can just consuming the media not always necessarily interacting with it. Um, oh, interesting. And so I tended to like watching him play video games despite him being six years younger and then and talking about it while he was playing. So like, I think I was like 22 when we were playing uh, a soccer game or something together. And while we were playing the soccer game he was just like absolutely destroying me in this game (laughs) and i started to realize that like this was like this common theme throughout the entire our entire like childhood like there would be a game that i'd played for years and i would introduce him to it and then by the end of the play session he was just destroying me at this (laughs) game and i'm just like how and it ended up being because like he's actually really like a really really top tier gamer uh he doesn't choose to like take that path in his life Mm -hmm. but like he wanted to if he wanted to he could probably go play professionally and whatever game it was that's so Um, cool and it became this this whole like kind of defining point of our adult lives where i realized that i'd always thought that i was really bad at games and he was average and it ended up being that like i'm average at video games and he's just (laughs) like spectacular Uh, and (laughs) it kind of changed the scope of how we interacted with each other a little bit because not that like I gained or lost respect for him in that, but I realized that I didn't have to compare myself to him as much because Mm -hmm. he's just really good at this thing that I didn't realize. So he's really good (laughs) at, he's really good at video games. He's really good at like jumping in and and using his mind to figure out this is the best way to do this thing really, really quickly where I'm more of the, like, I want to stand back and talk about what it looked like for him to go through that thought process, you know?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So going back, that was kind of my gaming through most of my uh, childhood and teenage years Uh, Mm -hmm. and i didn't start larping or doing like more live uh playing until i was almost in my 30s i think i was 26 when i started larping maybe 27 Mm -hmm. yeah and that's probably a whole other big conversation that we'll get into because that's very tied to how we started larping in color so i'll probably save that for then. but but yeah uh mostly just video games and then eventually watching my little brother play video games. So that's me.
1: Oh, I love that. I love the family family angle. I played a lot with my brother, too. But he was uh, much more competitive than I was mm-hmm. about things. So like it was less fun and more just getting my ass handed to me. But <laughs> no, it was still fun along the way. It's fine. <laughs> Shout out to my brother. Anyway, <laughs> what about you, Rachel?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly certain I've been a nerd since the womb. My mm-hmm. mom is a huge nerd, and my dad was a huge nerd, and they were different kinds of nerds. So he was like a D and D nerd, and my mom was like, "I love fantasy and vampires." Nerd, oh, right? Like, so, um, <laughs> before they got divorced, right? Like, I was I was raised by both of them, and then like my dad raised me after that point. But it was funny because my mom used to read me books in <laughs> like in the woo. <laughs> what? Um. What were you reading me? Are you like sitting there with like, an Anne Rice novel, telling your little <laughs> baby about this? It's um, just like mother, uh, <laughs> but I really like as as far as being conscious of what I was consuming. Um, that didn't really happen until. Uh, my dad liked video games. He was into that sort of thing. So he actually brought home an SNES because that was the first console we had and him and his friends played it. They would like hang out and play video games. And then I started playing the video games and I was really good at the video games. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I was was kicking their asses, right? Um, But it was fun. It's fun to make grown men cry. I've really taken that (laughs) mantra forward. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, I'm joking mostly, Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, no, I also likewise played a lot of video games. I've always loved like more story inspired games. So I played things like like Seventh Saga, right? Like so Mm -hmm. JRPGs, RPGs later, we got a a PS1, right, which introduced me to a whole host of Final Final Fantasy games because that's Mm -hmm. when we started playing those. (laughs) And I also, similar to Lawrence, I would also be content to watch my friend play Final Fantasy, Legend of Dragoon. Like we would switch off because I had a good friend and like a bestie from like the age of four onward. And she would play, <laughs> she would play and then I would be like, I've got the guide. Let me help. Right. Oh,
0: um, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah.
2: And th- that was like our jam. Like, I remember playing Final Fantasy X like that, right? And X-2 and trying to, like, get all the things because, oh, no, my tightest boyfriend gone. No. (laughs) Uh, Right? Uh, Final Fantasy X has a special place in my heart. Um, Same, same. (laughs) (laughs) um, But as far as, like, role play in the physical world kind of stuff. My dad was really big into D&D and I used to look at his books. He was also a Tolkien nerd too. So I was very inspired by those things. And I didn't know what the heck the books were talking about, right? Because i had never seen a 20-sided die. (laughs) My dad didn't have any dice around, or if he did, they were somewhere, right? So, you know, I was like, what do these mean? What's happening? Um, (laughs) And uh, eventually I went to college and in my first year, my friend John was like, so I'm gonna run a newbie campaign for newbies. Who wants to join? And me and uh, my boyfriend of the time were like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) And then I ended up playing like a two campaign out of that. Um, I have never stopped, yeah. And he also, my friends then were also LARPers. So that was kind of when I like, I've been LARPing since I was 19. And also Lawrence, I just realized like, you might be older than I thought you are because uh, I'm over here like, how old is La- Lawrence? Looks great. Oh my god, yeah, He doesn't age, so.
0: I'm 37. OK, um, so but... you're,
2: yeah, I'm 30. Uh, yeah,
0: OK,
1: cool. So that explains I mean, that. Amazing. OK, so I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you guys to answer it in like one sentence because this this should be, I hope, easy for you guys.
2: Oh, no, those what? are so hard. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. the hardest part is getting it in like one sentence. Um, what are your favorite kinds of games now? You guys have both done all different kinds of stuff over the years. Like, what's your favorite?
0: Rachel, you go first this time. Oh,
2: no. OK, um, let me think of how to say it real quick. I'm going to do this one sentence thing. yes. I'm, yes. I'm committed. I'm committed. okay so this can be taken multiple ways right um, but i think i mean it in most of the ways that you can interpret it so <laughs> my favorite kind of games are ones with a lot of storytelling and diverse characters nice that was i am I'm super succinct. i can, I can I, you know there are elements that i can give or take Um, but that's the core of what I like. I like characters and I like story. Perfect. How about you, Lawrence?
0: Uh, my favorite kind of game.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's very hard. Yeah. I'm evil.
1: I love the pain on your face right now. (laughs)
0: My favorite kind of game are emotional puzzle games and I will put a um, period there because there's more context but I like the mystery of that sentence.
1: Interesting. Ooh, okay. I love that. I love you guys' answers. <laughs> okay, so um moving right along to more more stories, I warned you guys that my favorite question that I love to ask people is just share a gaming experience with me that was really important to you and, and why it was important to you.
2: So who's ready to tell a story? I'm gonna make Lawrence go first. I had to do the sentence first. All right. All well, right gotta, Lawrence. <laughs> this,
0: yeah, that's fine, so. Perfect. Um, this is probably my favorite storytelling experience, period. And this is kind of what got me, understanding the gravity that especially LARP, but really just getting out and engaging with the world and learning to explore yourself, explore your identities. This kind of ties into that. Rachel, I'm not sure if you've heard this story. So maybe this is maybe this is a new one for you. So exactly. um so I was LARPing at the first LARP I'd ever played. It's probably been it probably been like maybe a year and a half, close to two years into Uh, my LARP career, as they say, and one of the head storytellers had been gone for a long time. So what ends up happening, uh, he shows up and I didn't know this guy. He was gone the, like he started like way back and then I started while he was gone and then he came back. So I didn't really know who this person was. I just had heard of him before. And so me and the rest of my crew are walking by and this guy like dives into my lap, like dives into my arms and I'm just (laughs) like, Whoa. Hey, what's going on? The game that was at was a really, really toxic game. You should not jump into people's arms without permission, by the way. So don't do that, oh, my God. <laughs> but he just like dives into my arms and I catch him and then long story short, he's like, yeah, my name is Cecil. I'm this person like from over here and hey, the boss wants you to do this thing. And he gives me this little trinket he's like, the boss wants you to take this to this place at this time. And I'm like, okay. And so fast forward, 24 hours basically it's the next day at game and it's time to go deliver this package and so we are moving through this huge landscape there's trees on either side of us both in real life and in the game and there's this big deep dark forest and so we're actually walking through this forest path and it's like two o'clock in the morning so like pitch black (laughs) outside none of us have any kind of light uh, physical representation of a light we don't have anything so it's just dark Uh, And we get to this cabin and then we walk inside and inside there's the setup for two people who had been playing like this chess game and we're like exploring the room and then a door opens and this basically a spider lich lady like (laughs) walks out and it's just like, I've been expecting you're like, oh shit, we're all screwed. Oh no. (laughs) Fast forward to the end of that encounter we did end up giving the little vessel that that my character had been given to the spider lich and in return she gave me a blood curse so that (laughs) like i was infinitely tied to her and was basically forced to obey her as long as it got really complicated but um two of the other people in my party were killed by this lich lady Uh, And so it was this really, really terrible experience for my character. So there's a setup for all that, and this is where it becomes like my favorite gaming experience. So as we get outside, my character is basically like big sister, not actually blood, but like basically the person that like mentored my character, we're walking back into town and then we stop for a second and we sit on this little brick path. And my character just like, for the first time reflects on that whole experience, like what just happened in there? Like, and so my character was like looking at his hand, like, I've got this scar and I, I don't know what this means. I've got this blood curse with this spider lich. Like, what is going to happen now? And I'm thinking about it, like, no, my character's actually scared right now. He's never experienced fear like this before. Uh, and then this was my roommate that I've been living with for like a year now. And I'd known for three or four at this point. And so Mm -hmm. she reached over and just like put her hand on my back and like gave me like a little backpack and was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, it's going to be all right. And I didn't realize this until she did that. But my character, as well as me, myself, I actually started crying. Uh, He was so scared that like he had no control. Like he was a chaos. He had, he grew up being able to do what he wanted. He wanted to be a pirate. And now for the first time in his life, he had no control over his destiny or what was going to happen. And so why that became such a pivotal story for for me was because I've never been the best about expressing myself or expressing my emotions or anything like that, Mm -hmm. in public at least. Um, But it wasn't until that story that I'm sitting there with my roommate that I trusted very much, who is also my character's big sister effectively. So he trusts very much. And I just let my character through me express the feeling that he was having. And that meant if that meant tears, that meant tears. And so it happened. And now I'm in this situation out in the middle of the woods with this lady that I I know and trust very much. Uh, And I'm I'm literally just crying there, (laughs) you know? And that's crazy for me, because I'm like, when did it get to the point when did LARPing become a hobby for me that I felt like I could grow as a person? When did that happen? Cause it was just a fun thing that I did. And now I'm learning how to, I'm learning how to reach out to that, this facet of myself that teenage Lawrence would have been so embarrassed about. Like you're crying in front of a girl, excuse me, what? And now I'm just like, (laughs) no dude, like this is, this is me right now. Like my character is expressing this thing and I feel it for him. Like this feels like, the season finale of like this TV show I've been watching for years, except it's me and I'm acting it out. Wow! Uh, And because of that experience, I've gotten to the point where like, if I'm feeling this emotion, I'm going to express it. Uh, That was a defining moment of kind of my LARP career that made me realize like, if I can learn how to express myself and to explore this facet of who I am through this one encounter, what would it look like if more people who grew up with very sheltered childhoods with like parents who weren't always necessarily there to teach them how to express themselves in a healthy way? Why can't more people be able to do that? Why aren't more people doing that? Yeah. So, so that was that was it for me. That was the moment that I knew that this whole LARP thing wasn't just like go play in the woods time. Like, no, this is this is serious. This is transformative. This is like life defining for some mm-hmm. people. Yeah, you, you can discover yourself, discover your identity. And yeah, <laughs> that's, oh, that's, so so that's it for me. Um, I love it. Absolutely love
1: wow. it. Wow. I, I teared up a little. I was watching Rachel's face too as this is happening. So like <laughs> we're both over here emotional. Like
0: <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that story Rachel before, but
2: no, no, I think I've heard of a, a somewhat abbreviated version of it. But
0: But not not a not the whole thing. Got his got his pants scared off of him, started crying about Uh it. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mm
1: -hmm. Rachel,
2: you're up. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I'll give a few instances because like I don't really have a top story, right? But I could give you some examples of things that have mattered to me. Mm -hmm. Outside of the literally just being able to play with my gender however I wanted. Like that's been an important move for me in like ex- just accepting like they them pronouns right yeah which is fun to hear right i'm like oh someone called me they it's oh, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> like oh okay uh, um so i think for me a lot of the notes that i feel are very relevant tend to be stories of like reclamation, empowerment with like an ooh. edge of sadness. Ooh, I'm a sucker for sad things <laughs> like ooh, I cry like this. Like Lawrence, I, I am not like you. I will cry all the time. <laughs> so yes, sad, right? I, I heard a Same. sad thing and now I'm sad, right? A <laughs> big baby. It took me a while to get there, but that's where I'm at right now as a person. But yeah, I really like stories that are like about rebelling against the past kind of defeating expectations. So like, here's a really, really quick one, right? So we had this 1920s prohibition era gang war kind of situation, right? Um, <laughs> where there was the Dawn and then there was the Carmines. And so these were kind of warring factions and they had a, a, a history with one another. And every time the Dawn showed up, I would be in as a, a woman in a big red fancy dress and a fur coat I would be like I'm Melanie Bacall I'm the arm candy on the Don so like and the Don would come in and talk and she would like giggle and and whisper to him and stuff well eventually the PCs talked to the person who specifically had a beef like personally with the Don and he was like what do you mean you got the Don he's not a he the Don is a she and then like everyone was like (laughs) <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me right now. <laughs> it, excuse me. And we had had them on screen like five or six times by this point, right? So the payoff for that was. like chef's kiss delicious right i love that (laughs) um and it was fun to see like the pcs be like oh smooth move like right like didn't Um, see it
1: coming right
2: (laughs) yeah yeah because she was always like kind of giggly and on his arm and whispering to him you know you wouldn't expect it um Mm -hmm. well now they might right they now they know how what i'm about but uh (laughs) But that was really fun, right? Another, like, that one's obviously not as emotionally uh, impactful. I guess I'll try to pick one that's a bit more emotional, right? Like, okay, more recently, I, I played a game where my character was pretty brainwashed by her father. There was a lot of emotional trauma there, too. I, I There's a theme with me.
1: Yeah, I'm um, noticing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, trauma babies. <laughs> trauma babies, yeah. Um, but, like, one of the things that, like, happened is, like, her and the guy who was her best friend growing up that she fell in love with was also literally brainwashed by her father to oh. never fall in love with her um, <laughs> and he did end up falling in love with the character I was playing and when he did it would do things like give him like he had like a heart attack on scene <gasps> so we had to do this big ritual thing to basically hack into his brain and destroy the program that was basically killing him slowly um, wow it was pretty intense like we did like a dive into his brain and he had to do his own thing and i had to go into his head and fight chris tang in a big bear suit <laughs> oh. <laughs> and on a stage with all of these neon lights and it was dark and it was ridiculous oh but my like, god at the end of it, like i had saved this person that my character really loved and cared about who was played by my real life best friend too so oh. it was you know so i've had a lot of really good moments and a lot of them are very fuck you past right like, yeah very, well and then like
1: empowering it's like they're in all these moments your character was like learning about themselves and like overcoming those like yeah oh that's beautiful
2: (laughs) so it was just it's good right it makes you feel powerful i think so often we are not either aware of our own power in our daily lives or like we just aren't able to make change Mm -hmm. and so i think these experiences kind of let you know that you can to some degree like we might not be able to fight every bad guy and win every fight but like there are moments that still matter. Yeah, for sure.
1: Wow, I love that. Lawrence, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing these stories with me and with all of our listeners today. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm emotional myself. So <laughs> we're going to cut to a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about LARPing and color specifically. I want to hear the origin story. I want to talk about supporting diversity in LARPing. And it's going to be a really good conversation. So stay tuned. Friends, have you always wanted to be a corporate sellout? Have I got the opportunity for you? Now you can buy my shirt, wear it to Friday Night Magic or your local Smash Tournament, and dunk on everyone you know about how your podcasts are better than theirs. If you want to support my show, head over to bubblegumbitchcraft.etsy.com and load up that cart. Again, that's bubblegumbitchcraft.etsy.com so you can cover your shit in replay stickers and whatever else I come up with. (laughs) And hey, thanks for playing. Welcome back to Replay. We are here with Lawrence Moore and Dr. Rachel Cofield, who are representing LARPing in Color. They're making a funny face at me because I called them a doctor again. Anyway, it's representing the weird. LARPing and Color leadership team. Um, so I just want to start by by giving kind of a shameless plug for this nonprofit. Um, so LARPing in color came on my radar like, I don't know, a year ago now, something like that. And um basically They're working on encouraging diversity in LARPing, tabletop, and any other kind of interactive storytelling medium type of thing, because as we said earlier, what is a game? Um, But they provide diversity resources, but then they also go one step further and they're actually working to connect game creators and runners with consultants who can help them with diversity. And I think that that really sets them apart. So um, I'll drop links to Link, haha, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> links to Link in the show notes so that you can check them out too. But uh, yeah, I just want to start off this conversation by asking one of you, I guess, Lawrence, probably to tell me the story of Link. Like, How did it get started? <laughs> what What made you realize that this was something that is needed?
0: So the way that we kind of got started, and this kind of ties back to my first LARPing experiences, uh, it was a particularly large uh, and well-known in the Southeast game that doesn't exist anymore for a lot of good reasons. I had some good specific experiences, like the story that I told, but that was largely uh, just like me and a couple of other people that was in a group of like 200 people that had some like really key moments. But uh, And then the Player base at large is probably, like, easily over four or 500 people that may or may not show up at any particular event over the course of years that I played uh, the game and had been running for, like, 20, 25, almost 30 years. Insane! um, (laughs) But it was not really well known for its safety or inclusivity or anything like that. But at the time that that game was starting, like, that wasn't really a topic that was really... Mm -hmm a thing. Uh, It very much still had that, like, we're just nerds swinging foam at each other in the woods (laughs) kind of thing that LARPs kind of get typecast as most of the time. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, eventually, uh, I kind of moved away from that game and started exploring other games in the Southeast. I started exploring games in Florida and in Tennessee and in South and North Carolina and started Mm -hmm. noticing that, like, it's not just that I go to a LARP and I'm usually the only Black guy. I'm usually... The only person of color period uh and it wasn't (laughs) every now and then it wouldn't like if the game was big enough yeah there might be a couple other uh people of color there but like for the most part after playing uh a little over 10 12 larps in the southeastern area and more than half of them i was the only person of color on site i realized that like there's got to be there's got to be a reason for this right and so Uh, I looked into it, I looked into like origins of LARP, I started studying like, why can't we keep people who are like me here, people of color, black people. Mm -hmm. And what I realized that it wasn't really, it wasn't really an issue with getting black people here wasn't an issue with getting people of color here to try a LARP, it was keeping people of color at the LARP, it was making sure they felt like they had a place there to, to exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what ended up happening uh was i just realized especially after again that story that i told like this whole larping thing is transformative like there's so much opportunity for for people to get out and just like understand themselves and get to explore Mm -hmm. facets of their personality and that's not happening that's not happening for the communities that i'm that i would like to be part of i want to connect more with marginalized communities because i didn't get that much contact with black people growing up Mm -hmm. so what does that look like how do i how do i not only connect more people to larp more black people to LARP, more marginalized communities to LARP? i wasn't out at the time Mm -hmm. so at the time i was like really focused on like i want more black people at larp so I found a, a group on Facebook uh, called LARPers of Color. I uh, know mm-hmm. it's a very similar name to our organization. And it, it's a group that was like specifically for people of color that were also LARPers. There were people in the group that were also not people of color, but it was specifically geared towards those conversations. Just kind of interacting with that space over the course of several months. Uh, me not really being anyone who's grown up, in the diversity space or the inclusivity space or or anything like that. I didn't know a whole lot about like, how do you build these inclusive practices? And I realize this now, but that group, LARPers of Color, was built for the purpose of giving, it's what I call a resource group now. So this is a group where just people who are of one community gather to be among people of that community. It is not Mm -hmm. there for people outside of that community to come ask for labor. Or right. to ask questions, it is there for this group to exist and be able to commune with each other. I didn't understand that. I just knew that I wanted to see more people, uh, more people of color at LARP and not just come to LARP, but stay at LARP. So I asked in the group, Hey, I want more uh, people of color to attend LARP. Do you guys know of, like books and like things like that that we can give to game runners to make more people of color feel safer at LARP? And I did not get a great reaction because that that actually comes up a lot in that group. Oh. Um, there are like tons and tons and tons of white people who show up in the group and then start asking, hey, could you like, come like, give us the stamp of approval on our LARP so like more black people feel like they can come or more Asian people or just yeah. any marginalized people can come do this, at come LARP with us. Cause we really wanna like, we wanna like do the diversity thing at a LARP. And it just felt so fake. Um, but especially since i tend to have a pretty private life my facebook profile picture was not me it was i think jack skellington at the time that's kind of a recurring theme for me and so uh there was a lot of assumptions that i was just another white dude showing up uh in this group asking for black people to or people of color to do labor to make their games so i got a lot kind of a lot of backlash it took me a couple days to understand why i got the backlash that i did and after talking to some people, that's when I realized, I was like, oh, there's separate spaces for, like I said, resource groups, places where you can just go and feel safe among people mm-hmm. who are like you, whether that be people of color, whether that be women, whether that be LGBTQ+, plus, or even disabled, whatever the case may be, there's there's places that you should be able to go and just exist in that space with people who are like you and be able to just heal from being around people who understand your perspective. Yeah. Um, So understanding that now is like, well, there needs to be a place for people who actively want to make their LARP spaces or just tabletop spaces or interactive storytelling in general, they want to make these spaces more inclusive because largely they weren't built to be inclusive, not from the ground up at least. They were kind Mm -hmm. of shoehorned in like afterwards, like, yeah, we'll throw in some policies like don't be racist. We'll put that (laughs) in our rule book, and that makes our, our LARP no longer problematic at all like yeah. that kind of thing <laughs> like
1: because <laughs> that's how <laughs> i appreciate
0: it i appreciate that you don't want your larp to be to be racist but like there's so much more work that needs to be done and so realizing that mm-hmm. i was like well i know I have some other people of color so maybe if i just like start a facebook page and people can like message me and be like hey so we need someone to do like a sensitivity reading this because we want to make sure that like we're not doing anything overtly uh overtly racist or or anything in the game and i was like i can at least do that and then just like basically treat it like a blog of my experiences as as a black person at uh trying to to larp so like this hybrid page of like me complaining about like (laughs) there not being enough diversity in larp by but also like trying to offer advice and letting people Uh, message me and then try to connect them with because I do know some some people or I should say did know at the time I knew Mm -hmm. other people who were educated in these spaces and I wanted to like provide connections to those people And so that's basically how we started kind of on a whim I was like I'm just going to start this page and maybe this will be the beginning of something people would message me and be like I want to do this thing how do I do this better I'd be like well I would do this, but I, maybe you should talk to my friend who does this thing. Do you mind like sending them a hundred bucks and then they can go like have coffee? And they'd be like, maybe we can't really afford that, but like we can really can we like try to work something out and be like, well, here's our contact information. And so we did that for about a year. And then realizing that more often than not people would be willing to have those conversations, but weren't really super interested in paying for those conversations. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Well, mm-hmm. there needs to be more sensitivity readings done. there needs to be th- these conversations need to happen, but I'm also not trying to make this a page about farming out this labor for free. And so <laughs> <laughs> so I just asked on Facebook as a post in our on our page, like, so what would it look like if I started like a, a crowdfunding page, a Patreon page to crowdsource the income that's necessary to pay some of these people that I know? to do like sensitivity readings and we can grow the page and get more people who are even more qualified and get really focused on education and experience as as kind of a tenant of what we do here and people overwhelmingly supported that idea that like oh "Oh, i can pay like five bucks a month and then like more larps become more inclusive because instead of having to like go look for a sensitivity reader and then not be able to afford it i can just go to one place and then they can connect me with a diversity consultant or a sensitivity reader, or I can read blog articles. We can basically just do everything we need to to get started. And mm-hmm. I I want to specify to get started on the path of becoming more diverse. If we can become that kind of nexus where like you come to us and we can get you started and get you pointed in the right direction, then people just overwhelmingly supported that idea. Uh, I started the Patreon page at that point. Within like two or three days, we were up to like three or four hundred dollars a month. Wow. <laughs> which is really incredible. That's amazing. Um, um, with people just like, yes, the service needs to exist. I realized that I should probably uh, do this legally because <laughs> taking in large amounts of money regularly from people that I don't know should probably be something I have some kind of like, I, I should probably go ahead and get a business license. In November of, it wasn't, it was 2020. <laughs> I'm just like, pandemic has eaten all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we got our business license, and we've been operating for a little over a year as a nonprofit. Our 501c3 tax-exempt application so we can be a charitable organization is in the works right now. So that's that's Amazing. where we are.
1: Yeah. What, what about you, Rachel? How did you get involved in Link?
2: <laughs> so it's a bit of a... St- A story as well. I'm the owner and one of the folks that runs Garden of Destinies, right? And so Mm -hmm. we really started from the position that, like, we were going to be a diverse staff. Like, it was friends, but it was also like a conscious choice to, like, do what we could on that front. And then obviously we had to write a lot of documents, right? Not only did we make rules, we did the whole, like, here's our official code of conduct. You know, and it outlines all of these different things, right? So, like, I'm a queer scholar and a feminist that works primarily out of the South and in Atlanta, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this majority black city. So, I'm pretty well versed in things like, you know, the current moment of feminism, right? Black feminism, Mm -hmm. black geographies. I literally study how people make place for themselves. For me, this like identity aspect is really important. Like, I carry that with me wherever I go, right? So, like, there was intentionality behind God's formation and, like, the mm-hmm. way that we wrote documents. We literally put in our our starting documentation, if you have a Confederate flag, go the fuck home. Don't yeah. show up with Confederate memorabilia on your vehicle person and or things like even... Like, you know, just obviously no hate symbols, right? But so many LARPs don't even do that, like, small amount of effort to, like, recognize that you live in the U.S. South and that people that people of color and also queer people, too, to some degree, when they see a Confederate flag, it doesn't mean woo the South. It means woo racism, right? Yep. We need to acknowledge the context we live in. It's really important. And so putting those things in just literal documentation is a way to make the space not just performatively safer but like to show that you are thinking Mm -hmm. and aware of like the issues that people face that aren't you right um well and it
1: also like having it in writing somehow feels more real like you said it's not just performative it's not lip service they're not saying we need to be nice to each other or whatever they're saying no we literally do not tolerate this and now you've got something codified that you can enforce
2: yeah Yeah, if you show up and you do that, there was a document. And if you didn't read our literal code of conduct, then you're telling me what kind of person you are, you know? Exactly. Um, (laughs) And I get that that isn't always like going to be the definitive thing there. But for me, it was important to kind of make sure those things were there because, you know, I'm not about that. But also, like, you know, there's a certain amount of accountability that game runners need to have that I have found that they often did not have either historically with like larps in this region and probably all over but also like even now they're not taking accountability for things like the fact that viking settings are often a major draw for white supremacists right um mm. <laughs> so are you as a game runner prepared to take a stand and explain that you not only understand that but that like you are willing to say that that is not actually what you are going for and to say that explicitly right to mm-hmm. have the accountability kind of built in to the space you want to cultivate, I started to see more and more as like I grew as a person and like as I thought more about the spaces we made for ourselves,
1: mm-hmm.
2: these were just not things that people were doing and I'm like how how in the 2018s <laughs> are people not doing this basic ash right? But like, you know, to me, I would have never thought not to do them. And so I feel like the more we talk about that and get things like to people to make it easier for particularly non-academic people, right? And so I think like I was drawn to Link because it seemed to be trying to do that educational work that Mm. was something I could take for granted because I was, you know, in academia as shitty as that has been grad uh, <laughs> students they make don't they just make nothing that's it end of story yeah. full stop uh, mm-hmm. but like even though i was like you know there i feel like it was easier for me to take that for granted and i don't think that most people are able to have that experience or have chosen to have that experience mm-hmm. and so like link seemed to be putting in the time to think about it for people that maybe just wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity and so, I like asked to be like a consultant, and Lawrence was like, "Aren't you like a doctor? Do you want to like actually do stuff <laughs> like <laughs> um and I was Basically. like, "Yeah, you're not wrong, and like I've been organizing things that's really vague for a really long time. I used to run convention stuff, like stuff. yeah, uh, I sure do love doing work um for as little as <laughs> that gets me, right." <laughs> <laughs> um, oh <man. laughs> all of the esteem and all that, right? Um I I was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's do this. Let's let's make it happen. I wanna do my my part here, right? And so like last fall? Was it I think summer, fall, one of those? Um, it was
0: right after our, our fundraiser, which was in April
2: yeah yeah so it was right around that summertime i defended my phd in april so wow <laughs> uh you got me like right after i was officially a doctor <laughs> amazing so yeah that's kind of how i got brought on and like it's been a good time and i guess there's one thing i do really want to applaud specifically lawrence but like everyone on the team so far right is that there are a lot of spaces where i don't feel very appreciated and the work of being a game runner is just kind of not really well understood to be difficult. I feel like mm-hmm. people think that it's easy, and it's really not. Yeah, um, for various reasons. But like uh, working with like the link team has been really, really good for me. I mean, it's obviously work, right? But like, I always feel like my work is appreciated, oh, and I yeah. will say that that is not the case in so many different spaces. It's it's been a good time because. Lawrence is very good at like thanking people for their efforts so that's something I've appreciated um, for sure so it's it's been good good environment right
1: (laughs) oh well I think that goes to show how much of like a a positive culture Lawrence has been building from the beginning with this too, right? Like it goes beyond just being inclusive, obviously. Yes. I'm going to hype you up Lawrence. Don't even, (laughs) don't scoff at me like this. Um, no, but like, but like, it's not just an inclusive environment. It's somewhere where they show the people that they're valued. And I think that extra step just adds, I don't know, a lot of people don't think about that extra step, right. To Rachel's point. So I think that's awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, it just kind of blows me away if I can comment on that, that like, Like, literally, what we're building started in a moment of passion and frustration for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I've always just felt like this kid who just, like, I enjoy just, like, entertaining. I like making people happy. I like telling transformative stories. And I've never really been able to connect with... Marginalized communities because of the way that I was raised Uh, and I don't want to get into like a whole bunch of family drama stuff But just because of the way that I grew Mm -hmm. up like that was never really something I was given much access to and then like Growing up and moving closer into Atlanta and being part of uh, a more urban lifestyle and being around more black people and being like man Like I feel comfortable in these spaces Mm -hmm. where I didn't always you know, and so now getting having this opportunity to like be able to deliver this incredible hobby to people as a storyteller and then also it's so incredibly crazy to me that we've gotten as far as we have as an organization and that we're delivering the services that we are and like like i go to bed like man we have a business license we have uh we have an accountant we have a cpa we, like we have this huge support on social media and we have uh, like recurring money and like none of that happened until like I just decided that I can't do this by myself. I can only take this so far. I can mm-hmm. be as passionate and tell these stories about like how like more marginalized communities need to be involved until I bring on people that have the education and have the experience and say, yeah, these things that Lawrence is saying not only are his feelings valid because he's a valid person, because he exists, but because like, look at all these studies that back up all the things, or look at all these other experiences from people across the the city or across the country Mm -hmm. are having these same experiences. And so because of things like that, and because I was able to recruit Rachel onto our team and and the rest of our team to build out these different workshops and uh, programs, like Mm -hmm. that's where, uh, I just feel so incredibly proud of the work that I do and I am always trying to just promote how much work our team does because it's yeah. work. And yeah. it's really important to me that the people who helped us get this far know that it wouldn't exist without them. We would probably still be a Facebook page that gives advice from from my experience which is valid but it's still only my experience mm-hmm. and making sure that other perspectives are included in that is what makes us grow as an organization and makes us have the sphere of influence that, that we are constantly hoping to grow. So, yeah.
1: Well, at the end of the day, you know, diversity is about being able to hear all of those different perspectives, right? Because we Mm -hmm. are stronger as a community when we have everyone's voices (laughs) rather than just one person. So I, I love that. Hey podcasters and content creators, question for you, are you reaching as many people as you want to? You invest time and money to produce the highest quality content you possibly can, but by creating content in only one language, you limit your reach to only the audiences who know that language. I want to introduce you to Victor Voice, a tool that can help you reach a bigger audience by creating audio in multiple languages victor voice is a new subscription software that lets you transcribe translate and voice audio in multiple languages it's easy to use fast and accurate go to www.victorvoice.co to sign up for your free trial today no credit card required that's victorvoice.co well so that kind of um i want to ask what services you guys do offer kind of give you guys a chance to hype up what you're doing because i know you're saying you're doing a bunch of stuff but How can people like engage with you guys
0: do you want to grab this one rachel
2: Sure. yeah i was like i don't know if i should go uh (laughs) yeah yeah so obviously you can go to our website and check out larping and color and like we we have some pretty pretty wide variety stuff here one of the things that we've been doing since like honestly the fundraiser and like the very beginning right is that connection with with link partnered consultants Mm -hmm. so basically subject matter experts whatever you want to call them that can review your content for some kind of fee and you know tell you what's up right like Mm -hmm. let you know what the the limitations are the gaps anything you might have missed right so on a basic level that's something we we do all the time we have a group of consultants Mm -hmm. that have our contact information are on our mailing list and they uh, we'll accept work if we're contacted. We can, you know, hook you up with someone, right? Yeah. Which is pretty cool just to start, right? Because I think people don't know where to get sensitivity readers. Oh, It makes it sound very, uh, very strange. Like, where do I get a sensitivity reader? But, like, it's a community that people don't don't necessarily have a lot of access to right Mm -hmm. and not to mention a lot of sensitivity readers do work as other things like you know they may have really useful things to say that can really make your settings more inclusive and help you build a better world not just in fake land but in real land right yeah So, that we've been doing the whole time. But also, we've been doing, I know Lawrence mentioned Matrice, and she's been doing workshops. We've had a couple already. We had one this January for addressing unconscious bias. Mm, yeah. And we have had a decent size group of people who have been attending. So, you can buy tickets uh, to these workshops. We do them every other month. We, We're going to be doing some policy writing labs soon, as well as I think Chris is wanting one on parenting in LAR. Uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that's a significant issue as well. But also I'm going to be doing one on queer storytelling. Oh, this sounds really cool
1: so wait yeah, so it's a it's a paid ticket to get into the workshops
2: it is it is um, because they are like official workshops. exactly exactly yeah. where does um, the
1: the funds go does that go back into your other programming or how
2: does as a, an organization we're certainly still a very small entity mm-hmm. so everything goes directly back into just operations at this point um, gotcha So we don't, we certainly are not making, we're not rolling in it, right? Uh, We are are doing what what we can.
1: What I'm hearing is people can go to your workshops and not only get something for themselves, but also support like your organization to be able to do more of these things. Uh, So I'm just saying out there to anybody who has any interest, take a workshop, anyway. yeah,
2: (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. And the one I know, I know Lawrence has been waiting for me to talk about this one. I've been taking it <laughs> slow, right? Ooh, the um, suspense, the suspense, yes, yes, build up. So the one that we just released officially is the Normalized Paid Emotional Labor Program, or NPEL. So essentially, what this program is is storytellers, content creators of various uh, stripes, right? can apply with a small application package it's like a, a short kind of write up you pay a processing fee of $25 and, and again this all goes back into the funds to continue the operations mm-hmm. um you let us know what you are looking for in terms of sensitivity reading the kind of goals for inclusivity that you have and tell us about your your financial need right cuz so many people are running LARPs that are essentially just labors of love. Mm. They are not money-making organizations. I know my LARP certainly is not. So many creators are doing these things on their own dime, on their own time. And what we are offering is this opportunity for you to apply to this program. And if you get in, then you get between $200 and $500 of sensitivity reading with a Link partnered consultant. Um, awesome. Yeah. We've already announced it. Definitely sign up for our newsletter because they're really fun. They have a lot of link suggested stuff um, mm-hmm. that we kind of represent and make suggestions for those nerdy folks out there <laughs> interested in role playing. Hopefully is many of us. Yeah. Um, but definitely for more news about things like Intel, this program is really unique because it does enable people that don't have a lot of resources to gain access to them.
1: Amazing. And then
2: how long do they have to apply? They have until the end of April. Sweet. Okay. We'll be plugging that throughout the next couple of months pretty extensively, um, but we're really excited because we really we want to give people this money. Like, yeah. we, we really want to see this happen and connect people and help with all the goals that we, we really think matter. Yeah. And I think like Lawrence was definitely onto something that I think was within the hearts of a lot of people, mm-hmm. myself included. I'm pretty white, but like that, you know, I'm not all the things, right? Right. Um, like <laughs> As um, as a
1: white queer woman, I, I get this. <laughs> like
2: this speaks yeah, to me. <laughs> yeah. I I grew up in a town that was very diverse and like I know the kinds of things that it has along with it that do matter to people right like it's not Mm -hmm. just about having having a token person in the room right it's about actually being able to communicate and share experiences in a way where like people can recognize that there are differences in what we actually think and like take that further and like be able to listen in a way that's compassionate because like I think sometimes it can be hard to accept, you know, oh, my baby, right? My baby, the thing, my <laughs> creation, right? That instantiation, of world making and storytelling that like me and Lawrence, right, both said was so powerful, to us. I think it can be hard to accept critique on that, especially because it becomes a part of you, right? But like, w- we need to reflect on that. We need to be able to do that in ways that, show grace right um so that people can can get better and do better and create better worlds for people and the fake one and the real one right
1: <laughs> that was so beautifully
2: stated oh no, thank you <laughs> i just made it up just then <laughs>
0: One of the things that's really important to us about this NPEL program is that it's called the Normalized Paid Emotional Labor Program. So we kind of have two directions that we take with our content. We have content that kind of looks more at like, how do we make our current generation of LARP organizers the most well equipped to be able to make the spaces that they build diverse and inclusive and uh, open to everybody. And then we kind of have other programming content that's focused on future generations and making sure that the people who are coming up who our current LARPers or kids and people who are teenagers who are going to be LARPers that run games in the future? How do we make sure that we are normalizing the practices that we are trying to introduce now so that when they are up and they are starting to create their own games and their own spaces, their own tabletops, their own interactive mediums, make sure that they just have this understanding that like, yeah, of course, why wouldn't you do a sensitivity reading? That's just... That's just right. the standard. And so we have content that uh, kind of focuses more on like, hey, as a player, make sure you're expecting these kinds of things from your organizers. If you're not seeing it, you should call it out or you should go mm-hmm. talk to them or you should do these things. And so with the with the NPEL program, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do is like instituting this like, yes, you should be paying for this, this emotional labor because the people that have to teach you why these things are not okay to have in your content They have to rely on their experiences, they have to rely on their trauma, they have to rely on all this stuff that they've gone through in the past to make you understand that. So that needs to be compensated. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we realize that the current generation did not grow up with these practices. I'm ecstatic that people can come to us and we can help them with paying for that because it's not necessarily completely their fault that that expectation wasn't set for them when they were learning to LARP, so we can't Mm -hmm. hold them 100% accountable for the past but we can ask, ask them to step up their standards so that the future is better so that's that's really the emphasis with impel mm-hmm. it's not only just making sure that current generations are instituting these things and eliminating those barriers of entry for inclusivity but also making sure that people understand that going forward these things need to be built into building a larp just like yeah. how uh, a buffer larp will make sure that their weapons uh, are not physically painful to be to -hmm. be contacted with. Making sure that it's safe for your your marginalized communities to interact with your story content is just as important as making sure that the physical contact is safe as well. So that's what we want to emphasize with this program.
2: Want the game to hurt you, not the the game to hurt (laughs) very specific. (laughs) It's all
1: about your tone. (laughs) As you say it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an amazing um that focus on like normalizing these practices for future generations. I think that really speaks to a lot of the diversity initiatives and like things that you see, right? Like we see G- Gen Z on like TikTok and stuff calling all of us that are over 30 fucking out. You know, we already see these like shifts in the way people think from like i'm 30 myself so it's like from our age group to like these young kids and they're already looking at us like how could you believe something so outdated in (laughs) so many ways you know and it's i think it's cool that i think it's important that you're taking an active role in like teaching them that. Like mm-hmm. I had a, I had a guest on um, my first season that talked about teaching kids how to play D&D and, and how important it was for her as a woman of color to sit at the table, even though she just had a table of little boys and like prove to them that, you know, a woman in a position as the GM is normal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like to carry that forward with them. And I think that's, you know, it's the same type of work in a different way. So important. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yep, we're here to make sure that that work is is expected. That it is something that you go to a LARP, and if you don't see that a sensitivity reading has been done, and that there's been no care put into the code of conduct, like Rachel mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that if that stuff isn't there, you don't go to that LARP. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you wouldn't go to a LARP that doesn't check to make sure the cabins are habitable. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so why would you go to a LARP that doesn't make sure that the the mental and emotional spaces are habitable as well? Like these things are equally important and that doesn't really get done because they weren't normalized when LARPing was kind of becoming a concept a long time ago. So now yeah. it's time to change that. We can't go back in the past and fix that, but we can ex- institute higher expectations for the future. And that's what we're trying to do.
1: I love that. I love that so much. What are some of the specific challenges in like the LARP community that you guys are trying to address like i know you've talked a lot about like obviously the mental and emotional health of the people participating in the games but are there any other specific like like larp specific challenges that you want to see changed
0: there's a lot depending on the angle <laughs> that you're from um there was a lot of uh, contention last year between two groups of people who had very different opinions on whether or not it was going to be uh, safe to start to LARP again during uh, like the depth of the pandemic. And what emerged from that was not just like, because obviously like we could go on all day about like COVID restrictions and things like that. Like, I don't want to get into that conversation, but what mm-hmm. really emerged from that is just two like, very core fundamental differences in belief in what the what the concept of LARPing does for people and how to implement that across safe communities and there were just like ideological differences, very core foundational differences that saw communities split because of it. You know, yeah. um, and a lot of that is because those things aren't talked about when those communities are built. Uh, so one of my philosophies on LARP has always been that. You should build a LARP community with people that you want to hang out with, that you trust and you mm-hmm. feel safe around, and that LARP is the thing that you do together sometimes, regularly, maybe once a month, every, every other month, whatever the case is, um, mm-hmm. but it, LARP isn't the core of your community. The core of your community is mm-hmm. the people that you want to be around people that you want to spend time with, your friends, and you have a hobby that just happens to be LARPing. You don't build your community off of the the hobby itself. You build your community off of the people that you want to be around. And then if you all just happen to be LARPers, that's fine. Awesome. Yeah, go out in the woods and go LARP together. But that isn't the reason that you're together. You're together because you care about each other, you trust each other, and you hold the same values. And a lot of times that doesn't happen in the LARP community. Because, again, like Rachel mentioned, having things like your code of contact and your community beliefs in very clear places in your uh, player handbook or participant guide, Mm -hmm. having that very clearly stated that these are community standards, not just our rules, but this is what we believe as a community. And if you're not okay with that, you're probably not going to fit with our community. You're welcome to find other communities. Uh, Making sure that's expected is is something that I really care about.
2: Yeah. I have a lot to say about that. I like you put it very well is it can i add stuff
0: yeah yeah go for
2: it one of the things like that i uh, like it's it is definitely that shared morals and values kind of situation right like we've been pretty clear about where we stand right like fuck nazis right so (laughs) uh so you know you can, can definitely try to approach it as uh community and larping being the community but i think kind of there has been this very toxic positivity scene within LARP communities and communities like writ large, Mm -hmm, right? Yeah. Where like you can't really disagree or, you know, I've seen LARPs do the thing where we don't talk about politics. And when you push it that it's like, why don't you talk about politics? Can you explain it to me? Why, why is that? Can you tell me very directly what it is that you're actually trying to say? And it's that you want the money of the people who are Trump supporters to come to your game, right? I, I think like there is a way to like curtail dissent by using this very well. It's for the community, right? Like, mm-hmm. but for the community doesn't mean to me that you sacrifice your morals and values right. in order to, to kind of uh, perpetuate a game with people who might not even think you're fully human or who don't believe you should have rights on a very fundamental level Mm -hmm. because that's messed up, right? (laughs) Like, that's not what I want out of any kind of community. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are people who want to push those things off the scene and act like they don't really matter. But I think that that's a convenience. It is convenient for some people to do that. It is not really... Like, obviously being white, it, it could be convenient for me in some contexts, but it is definitely not convenient for me as a femme-bodied person or, you know, as a queer person. So like, you know, why would I carry that with me in other spaces? It's just like, I think that part has been pretty, pretty fraught. One of the like barriers I find that is at least easier to resolve in the very labor of love style larp that mm-hmm. um god's is and like that that i participate in is the idea that like you can just waive fees for people right like <laughs> so like you want to like so people oh gosh i don't know if this is just every person in this context but like no one wants to accept help from other people so <laughs> yeah i hope here i'm over here like i hope none of my players listen to this but like we have a, a like a a fund that people can donate to if they want to help sponsor other players coming to the game now i don't really i don't check to see if that it's not a separate fund like Mm -hmm. we i just let people come for free but like (laughs) it makes people feel like they're not just taking handouts because i don't think of it as a handout right i don't lose money by people coming to the game even if we did want to like put a value on it right yeah but to me like we run as low cost as we can possibly do while being sustainable i think there's longer conversations to be had about the fact that we are literally doing free labor all the time as game runners um and but letting people come to the game for free to be with their friends and their community is literally life-saving for some people community i think we've all kind of learned this in the last like few years isn't just like an abstract thing. It is literally who you can hang out with. And if you can't see people, it hurts in a palpable way. And like, so we've been very clear on like, if you are struggling financially or out of a job or whatever reason, we don't really care what the reason is. Uh, <laughs> but if you are constrained and financially, just come to the game. Just, just come be with your friends, right? yeah i would rather you be here than stay home and while all your friends are gone feeling miserable and alone yeah Um, because that is a terrible feeling i want you to come here and that's like kind of my goal is to just reduce that cost Mm -hmm. um and let people know that it's like safe to not only ask for help but to just like that this is a space they can have too
1: yeah yeah, re- reducing the money barrier to larp could be a whole episode of its own. Um certainly. On that note, I mean, I think we've proven we could literally talk all day and it would be great. Oh, totally. But totally. um we we need to not do that because boundaries. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to just say I'm going to ask you guys is there any last message that you want to get out there to the listeners today?
0: for me, and I've said this uh, a million times already, just like, I'm so incredibly proud of the people that I get to to work with, with this organization. And uh, I just talked to my mom the other day and I was just like, <laughs> basically <laughs> just like, look at all this stuff that we're doing. Look at all these people that are supporting the singular goal of in- building resources so that there are no more barriers to inclusivity for this incredible mm-hmm. hobby that we have. Like it blows me away. I get checked up sometimes just like, like this little kid that grew up in this little uh, Section 8 house uh, in the woods mm-hmm. is like trying to do all this all this stuff with this hobby that, that he found. And now I've got like this incredible team that surrounds me and we're doing all this this awesome work. Right now, our big focus, now that we've gotten kind of our big flagship program with Intel, and we've got our regular workshops that we're doing, our seminar series, mm-hmm. uh, we've got regular blog posts and articles. So now the biggest thing for us is it's available. That's the message that I kind of want to put out there. The work is there. You can access, like starting in March 1st, you can apply for the NPEL program. We just need people to know that we exist. I can't say that we've eliminated every barrier, but we've made it significantly more easy for anybody mm-hmm. who wants to make sure that the people that are coming to enjoy their content, regardless of who they are, have a much higher chance of enjoying it and not feeling unsafe. But the biggest thing that you can do or anybody can do to make sure that it happens is just spreading our message, sharing mm-hmm. our social media, reading our blog posts, and sharing those with the, the game organizers or your DM for your tabletop or whoever it is that's running mm-hmm. your online story. Whoever it is, just share it with us. Like We will always need financial support. I'm not going to sit here and act like we have a whole bunch of money, but more important than me than us having like a huge amount of recurring income is making sure that in whatever capacity Link exists now, and in the future, that we leave something that sets a precedent, that's a new precedent for interactive storytelling mediums in general. Just share the message that we exist. That's the number one thing that anybody can do. And I know everybody says that. Everybody's like, yeah, if you want to support us, like share our Facebook. Like, no, literally, please. Like, <laughs> actually, like, if you can get 20 people to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, or engage with our website. I'd rather that than you donate ten bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know that's so much more important to me than than the money. Mm-hmm. We will always need money, but more important than the money is making sure that we have an impact. So, awesome. Yeah, thank
1: How about you, Rachel? what's your What's your final closing message here? Well, Lawrence was so
2: thorough. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, plug us in the gaming spaces you have. Share it online. We are certainly not everywhere yet, but, you know, people that have been seen as minorities in gaming are. And we're always going to be here and we're always going to matter. So take it back to your own spaces and, you know, like, keep complaining complain (laughs) when there are things that don't suit you and be upfront about that right like tell it as you see it and you'll eventually make your way to the case that like hey we need this stuff right because increasing your education and seeking it out like in whatever form right you don't have to have a formal education matters because there's a lot of people that matter i love that (laughs) i was like i feel like i had something concise to say but I mean really just keep caring about the things that matter and also you know what th- uh like thanks for listening to Clara's podcast because she's amazing Aww. <laughs> Aww. you guys are awesome oh my God <laughs> well in that note
1: I just want to say to everyone out there any like links or games or anything we've talked about today I always drop those in the show notes so definitely um there will be a fuck ton of diversity things <laughs> that have come up today that will be there If you don't do anything else please go follow larping in color either their newsletter or on social media or whatever i hope everyone learned a lot i definitely learned a lot today so thank you so much again rachel and lawrence for coming on the show
0: yeah it's been a pleasure thank you
1: thanks for listening i'll be back again soon with another episode you can find episodes of replay and all other victor media group podcasts at victormediagroup.co Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. The show's executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell, with sound design by Anna Hughes and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social channels, and check out Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing, and remember, you're always welcome at this game table.